it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 299. Today, we're going to talk about some red flags that you could find in financials that might help you avoid a little pain in the future. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Andrew, what would be your first red flag when you're starting to analyze a company that would cause you to go, eh, maybe not? So the simple, very simple one is if a company used to be profitable and now it's no longer profitable. You can look at the big number that gets all the attention, the bottom line, the earnings per share. And if that goes negative, to me, that's a red flag, especially because a company used to be able to turn a profit. Now it's not what's going on here. And so I looked at 30 plus bankruptcies in the past two decades ever since the year 2000. And that was the most common characteristic they all shared. A lot of different numbers that were all different, but the most common one they shared was they were not profitable in the year before they went bankrupt. It's not rocket science, right? It's something that I think gets ignored maybe a little bit too much. Not to say it's always a red flag, but it should bring your attention and say, okay, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should. And maybe to help explain kind of that idea of these companies that have gone bankrupt, a lot of them were profitable at one point and then they became unprofitable, correct? Yeah. So it's normal in the evolution of businesses, if you will, especially companies that are starting out to be unprofitable, but hopefully at some point they achieve profitability and, you know, and that goes on for a long time. But when you see like the companies that you were talking about, you see them go from being positive to negative. That's certainly a red flag. You know, Radio Shack was that way. Sears was that way. 
What's that? Circuit City. Yeah, Circuit City. Yeah, exactly. Blockbuster. Yeah. yeah, all those companies were profitable businesses, and then they were not. And so, if you see that going in the wrong direction, that's probably a sign that you may want to run for the hills. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Because as Buffett says, turnarounds don't often turn around. So <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> I guess what would be kind of the next financial red flag for you? Another pretty simple one is the debt to equity ratio. And if that starts deteriorating really bad, then that's a red flag to me. So debt to equity ratio, you can calculate it several ways. But if you just think of a company's liabilities and you compare it to their equity, if that ratio they just start piling on all these liabilities and it's much more than they've historically had, then that could be a red flag because they could be almost on life support trying to keep things afloat by adding a lot of debt, spending too much money. All those things can happen. And so when you see debt to equities really expanding and there's not a good reason for it, you could have, it could be like a telltale sign that, okay, Inside of the business, things aren't as good as it used to be. Here's one of the first signs, and they're trying to cover it up with more debt or, you know, burning through cash flow or their cash pile, things like that. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, in essence, it's more about looking at the history of the company and then seeing that this ratio, the debt to equity ratio, you're seeing it start to get out of norm for them because companies will go through life cycles, right? And you'll see, sometimes you'll see in different seasons of their life, if you will, that they might take on debt for a lot of purchases or they're building out facilities or something along those lines. And then that gets back under control. But if you see it and they've never been like that and all of a sudden starts to spike, then that probably would be a sign, correct? Yeah. And so this one, I ran a back test on looking at thousands of stocks and then tracking their market cap over one year, two year, three year, five year time periods. And the stocks that either from positive profitability to negative profitability or had this super big expansion in debt to equity, Mm -hmm. if a company had that, their stock performance over the next three and five years was worse than if a company didn't have that. And so that was a back test I ran and that was tied with the latest version of the value chart indicator, Mm -hmm. but it just goes to show you. And and again, it's not rocket science, but either something's being covered up or they're trying to be aggressive and, and change things, turn things around, or maybe they're just biting off too much than they can chew. A lot of times it can work, but in the majority of cases, it did not. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's that's an interesting back test. So I guess, would you say it's just because there's too much debt or are there other things about taking on the debt that cause, I guess, fragility or weaker economic conditions for the company? Is there something else related to that that caused problems? Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, it can really be all of the above. Mm-hmm. I'll give an example. When, when we railed on Starbucks and their balance sheet all these years ago, they took on a lot of debt. And what did they do with the new cash? They just bought back a lot of shares. So none of that, very little of it actually went to the operating business of Starbucks and to pay their employees or to open stores. A big portion of that went to buybacks. And so their stock didn't do as well. And if you think about what you're essentially doing when you borrow money to buy back shares, 
you're increasing how much you have to pay in interest Mm -hmm. down the road and not necessarily making a better Starbucks drink. You're not necessarily investing in making the product better. You're not necessarily investing in opening more stores so we can have more profits later. You're literally just borrowing money to give it back. And when you do that too much, you won't have as good of operating results as somebody who maybe like Amazon was actually spending money to build out their distribution network. And now you fast forward and Amazon's much bigger than Starbucks. And I'm not saying just as an example, you can see the difference between investing in your business versus just buying back, you know, taking out debt to buy back shares. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. And, you know, the company could have used that to, I don't know, make the company more profitable, make it more efficient, yeah. you know, buy better systems to improve the profitability, which in the long run will benefit the shareholders more than just buying back shares because it's, it's kind of a false, it's a false sense of this company is growing earnings because all they're really doing is reducing the share count. They're not actually right. growing the dollar amount of the earnings. I remember that was one of the things that was going on with Caterpillar and Boeing a few years ago that the share count was reducing, which the CEOs were doing to boost earnings per share. And, but they're doing it through debt and other means and they weren't actually growing the bottom line. And it looked like the company was growing earnings, but they really weren't. So, and how uh, that turned out for Boeing and some other products? Uh, not so great. Yeah. <laughs> not so great. You know, the whole was it the seven thirty seven? Is that is that the plane that's had all the Max. troubles? Was that? Yeah, the seven thirty seven Max. Yeah. yeah, that's the one that's had all the troubles. That certainly has set the company back a lot. Mm. Uh, I don't know if those two things are correlated, and I I don't know Boeing at all. So I wouldn't speculate on that, but yeah, it has not boded well for the, both the Caterpillar and Boeing CEOs lost their jobs for those. Once the board figured out what they're doing, out they went. Yeah. Well, in defense of these companies, at least they can always turn. I know turnarounds are hard. Like said, they're hard and they're rare, but they can be done and they're done all the time. So maybe the next five years for some of these companies could be better than the last. Yeah. But if you were a shareholder in Starbucks, Living through that, yeah, you got some returns, but they were not as great as a lot of other companies were. Right. Yep. Exactly. And you could have avoided some of these things by just kind of thinking about or and following some of the guidance that you're providing there, especially related to debt and negative earnings for sure. Well, and you know, it's something where if it's a red flag, it doesn't mean I'm never going to buy Starbucks ever again, but it's one of those you kind of know that and maybe you come back to the story and see if things have changed. I mean, I I did have a company where to kind of break that mold, a company called Lamb Research, they basically doubled their debt to equity ratio. And I was sitting on a really nice profit. So I sold thinking I was so smart. And turns out they were being aggressive to reinvest in their business. And that stock doubled, maybe tripled since I sold it. So it's not to say that, yeah, every time a company expands their debt to equity that it's a bad thing but it's something you want to look deeper into because it could be a red flag right yeah yeah totally i mean that that totally makes sense i I think one of the things that people should remember when we're talking about red flags are these are things that you want to ask questions about so if you discover like andrew was talking about debt to equity easy for me to say when the debt debt to equity grows that much you want to ask questions. It doesn't mean that necessarily it's automatically bad and you got to sell it right away, but it also means 
that you do need to ask some questions and try to determine, get to the bottom of why that is. Maybe look at historical performance and see if these, this is something that that CEO has done in the past and has worked out well for them. You know, then it, that might help ease any concerns. But the flip side of that is if it's not historically relevant, like it's never happened to them before. And you see this in conjunction with other things like debt, you know, like the earnings going negative and growing the debt to equity. Those two combinations can be really dangerous. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Really dangerous. I hope I'm not beating a dead horse here, but I kind of want to talk about one more example. Sure. I mean, there could be a million a million reasons why a company's debt to equity expands. One of my favorite investments that I still have, Apple, their debt to equity has, if you look at the history of that, it's consistently gone up, 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 up. But if you get some context about their balance sheet, back in 2017, they had almost $200 billion in long-term investments, excuse me. So in the same way that you and I might have you know, $200 in stocks, they had mm-hmm. similar types of investments that they could use at any time. So since 2017 to 2022, they've sold that down to about $120 billion 
from almost 200 billion. And they bought back a lot of shares, paid some nice dividends. So that's a completely different story though, right? Mm -hmm. Because they had a big cash pile and they started using it, but it's not like they leveraged their future. Right. To spend that cash pile does not mean taking on interest payments on debt. Mm -hmm. It's two very different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And the shareholders since 2017 who saw Apple's debt equity go up, up, up did very, very well. But the company wasn't mortgaging their future to do the buybacks. They were really just basically getting the benefits of all the cash they had piled up beforehand. Right. So those are two kind of similar but very different scenarios when you look at a whole Starbucks versus Apple five years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think I think it kind of illustrates how you really have to. Sometimes it's good to look at the metrics, but it's also good to look at the balance sheet to to put it in perspective. So instead of just looking at the if you see that the debt to equity keeps going up for Apple, you might automatically just disqualify it as an option. But if you look at the balance sheet and see that their piggy bank, if you will, is dwindling because they're using using it because they've they've hoarded it all these years like a squirrel and now they're <laughs> going to start using it. That's to benefit of the company as well as the benefit to the shareholders, as you can see through the returns. So it's it's not always apples to apples, no, no pun intended. But I think it's always good to look beyond the metrics. It's Metrics are great and they're a great shorthand, but we always have to kind of remind ourselves that's what they are as their shorthand. You need to kind of look a little bit beyond that to make sure that you're not missing something important, good or bad. Yes. All right. Now that we've thoroughly exhausted the whole debt angle, maybe we could talk about goodwill. What are your thoughts on goodwill? Okay. Maybe I'll start with an intro to goodwill so people who are more beginner can follow along. When a company buys another company, the difference in the purchase price and what the company's value is on the books is goodwill. So let's give an example. Microsoft is in the process of buying Activision. If you're familiar with Activision, they're a video game company. They have pumped out games like Call of Duty, the Blizzard games, those are all Activision. So if you think about a company like that, and you compare it to like, let's say Walmart, for example, Walmart has these huge stores. They're putting all this money in those stores, the parking lots, the the lighting, the the inventory, all this stuff. It takes a lot of money to make a, a Walmart store. So they're when they're putting all this money into their store, it shows up on their balance sheet. You take a company like Activision, and they're really spending money on a lot of developers. They don't have these huge stores, these huge employee bases compared to somebody like Walmart. So they spend a lot of money too, but a lot of that doesn't go on the balance sheet. Okay. Why does that matter? Because Activision is still worth more than whatever it's on its balance sheet. So if they have, let's say some cash, they have a few office buildings, whatever all of those assets add up to, that's how much they're worth on the balance sheet. But then however much Microsoft's paying for Activision, and I think it was something like 90 billion, 95 billion, somewhere in that range. That difference between, let's say if it was, you know, I can actually pull it up. Seeing we can travel through time. It's really quick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you take their assets, 27 billion, take out their liabilities, 8 billion. You have 19 billion in equity. So that difference between the 90 billion or so that Microsoft's paying, the 19 billion that's in equity, that difference is the goodwill. And that's how, a little bit confusing, but that's just the way the accounting works. And that's how you balance out the financial statements so that Microsoft can keep track of how much money it has spent on acquisitions. And so 
it is a very good thing to look at because if Microsoft were to have overpaid for a company like Activision, then that goodwill could be suspect and that could be a red flag. So how would you look at a goodwill number and and tell if it's suspect or not? I think, well, it'll depend on, it depends. I think a lot of it will go to what kind of companies have choices to make with capital allocation. And one of the choices they can make is they can acquire other businesses like Microsoft is looking to to acquire Activision. Microsoft has a history of buying other companies. And for the grand great majority of those, they've done a really good job of assimilating those companies into their ecosystem and it turning out really well for Microsoft in the long run. And so knowing that, looking at the goodwill, for example, of Microsoft, I would probably be a little more comfortable with their level of goodwill on their balance sheet compared to another company that maybe doesn't do acquisitions, if at all, or has not had a good history of doing them at all or doing them well. And when you see that kind of thing, if you see it spike all of a sudden and they don't have a history of it, all of a sudden they do it, you have to keep in mind that most M&A activity, the studies show that 80 to 85% of most M&A activity doesn't work out the way that they hope. And whether or not your company that you're investigating or that you own, if they all of a sudden decide that they want to get into the M&A game, then mergers and acquisitions, by the way, if they get into that game and they start buying other companies, that could be a red flag because all of a sudden you start to see them piling up all this goodwill on their balance sheet And that could lead to problems down the road, maybe not initially, but once the honeymoon phase is over, that could be something that could be problematic. And a lot of it depends on how the companies do it. There are some companies that are, you would call serial acquirers. These are businesses that acquire a lot of businesses consistently. Constellation Software is one that immediately springs to mind, but other ones like Danaher or Thermo Fisher that are in the life sciences industry, they have a history of acquiring a lot of companies and have done really well with those for the most part over the years. So that in and of itself is not problematic. But if you see Texas Instruments, which doesn't acquire a lot of companies, all of a sudden go on this buying spree, then that would be cause for concern for me because you would ask yourself, okay, A, are they set up to do this? Can they afford to do this? And what are the impacts to the business over a long period of time? And that kind of leads to kind of the idea of impairment. And maybe you could kind of touch on that and maybe how that can impact. So a rising goodwill could be problematic. It's problematic because of kind of the impairment idea. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yes. So I guess to make it as simple as I can first and then talk about the intricate joys of goodwill and <laughs> accounting impairments, right? Basically, the, the risk is if we're Microsoft, and I was wrong, I was getting the share price mixed up with the market cap. So they're really buying them for $68 billion. Only. So, yeah, only 68 A couple $10 billion off. The risk for Microsoft paying $68 billion for Activision is what if Activision was really worth more than four, it's really worth only like $40 billion or $45 billion. And the company doesn't realize that till after. So what, the, what have they done? They've basically blown $25 billion 
that could have gone back to reinvest in Microsoft itself or could have gone back to shareholders, me, in the form of a dividend or buybacks. So when you see big goodwill, the worry is not that there's like a big number, but the worry is that what it would tell us is that in the past, the company has taken money that they should have spent more wisely and they blew it on a big acquisition. And unfortunately, you don't know if that's the case until after it happens. And so the market tends to react really strangely to when it happens. Because actually, if, if something's impaired, you can actually see the stock go up because I guess the market already figured it out six months ago or a year ago. But what an impairment is, is basically, let's say Microsoft found out that, you know what, Activision was only worth $20 billion less than what we paid for it. So they would have to make the books balance you would have to take $20 billion off of their books, off the balance sheet, because that's the $20 billion in assets that's not actually really there because the company's not worth that much. You take that $20 billion off and then they charge it to the income statement. It becomes a loss. And so you have negative income for that year. But again, it's a weird thing and it doesn't really make sense until you think about it kind of deeply. It's not that when they write it off, they're losing the money. It's that they lost the money when they bought it. It's like if I were to buy, I hate that we always pick on the same companies, but if I were to buy Peloton two years ago and then today it keeps going down and down, I really lost the money when I made the buy. It's not so much what's happening from day to day. It's like you just, you, when you pay too much, you pay too much and there's no going back from that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happens with companies too. And when you have an impairment, it's not so much that, yeah, the future is going to be worse. But to me, it's a signal that says, yeah, management didn't do a good job in their last acquisition. And then if you have multiple impairments, it's like, okay, management has a track record of not making good acquisitions. Well, it's weird because I don't think impairment gets as much attention as far as when it happens, there's a news headline and then investors react either positively or negatively. And then they kind of move on. And then it almost like disappears from the financials. Like it, it just turns into this mist where it's like, eh, never happened. <laughs> so it's it's one of those really weird things. And it's why I think one good way, and you said that so simply, is to look at the goodwill. And if it all of a sudden expands, then maybe a company on a buying spree shouldn't be doing that because they don't have a good track record of doing that. That's one way to look at it. There's a couple other ways you could kind of snoop that out, but I was curious if you had any thoughts on that first. I think the way you explained it was, you know, very clear. And I, I think impairments, especially, I like the part where you said, you know, especially if you see multiple impairments, especially in a five to 10 year frame and you start seeing a bunch of impairments, that is a sign that management has, everybody makes mistakes, right? I mean, the buff dog has, you know, he's admitted he's made plenty of mistakes buying different businesses or investing in different companies. So that in and of itself is not a death knell or anything of that nature. But if you see a lot of them, then that could indicate that they don't have systems set up to buy other companies. They do a really poor job of due diligence or they're just making bad decisions. You know, maybe the board of directors isn't preventing the CEO from, you know, pulling the trigger on these things. And maybe it's more ego driven than it is economic driven. And they're just all indicators that maybe this company being led by this particular person may not be a good fit for you as an investor. Because if, you know, every time they destroy value in that respect, that's 
value you have to wait another five, 10 years to realize because of the power of compounding. And if you're my age, 56, and the guy cuts you off at the knees and you know, you don't have 30 years, you know, to go. So it's a harder place to be. So it's something that I think people need to, it needs to pay attention, but yeah, I agree. The stock market, the media, once the impairment goes, it's like once the news cycle moves on, everybody kind of forgets about it. And it's like, eh, okay, whatever. And it's all relative too. It's like the company, you know, generates 30 billion a year in revenue and it's, you know, half a million in, in impairment. Okay. You know, it's, it's not that big a deal, but if it's like, was it AOL buying or no Yahoo buying AOL and then, you know, turning around and having, you know, for, I don't know, a hundred billion or whatever crazy number it was. And then turning around and you know selling it for like 10, those kinds of things, those are much bigger moving the needle kind of things that you really want to think about before it all goes it back to what are they buying? How much are they paying for it? Is this unusual for them and the goodwill rising on the balance sheet? And then thinking about the potential downsides. I know Teladoc gets a lot of grief for an, an investment they made during the height of the pandemic. And they ended up having to, to impair most of that purchase as well. And so it's, I know it's hurt their financials as well as their stock price. It's not a company I follow very closely, but I have seen some new snippets about what happened with them. So it's definitely something you want to keep track of and be aware of when you're analyzing the company. To your point too, like stuff happens, right? If you just happen to have business operations in Russia when they decided that, oh, this is all mine now, you mm-hmm. took impairments on that. And right. you can forgive a management for something that's out of their control. Right, of course. Are are there any ways that you can kind of sniff that out as far as it's tough, right? I mean, mm-hmm. do you just kind of look at the goodwill and then just see the changes in goodwill and then also the relation to, is it really just changes in goodwill? Uh, for me, it's probably a combination of two things. It probably would be changes in goodwill and changes in percentage of total assets. You know, if the total assets of the company, you know, because if goodwill becomes an increasingly bigger part of the total assets of the business, and that's not really their business model. Let's take a company that I was looking at the other day, Fastenal. They sell fasteners, super sexy company, right? But the majority of their assets are made up of inventory and accounts receivable. And if all of a sudden you see that being, I guess, diluted by, you know, this expanding goodwill, that's not really their business model. And so that would be a cause for alarm because not only is the goodwill going up, but it's also skewing their total assets and assets are what really drive the growth of any business. And so goodwill, if it's the purchases aren't performing, then that's going to affect the business as well. But those are, I guess, the two things I look at. Yeah. I mean, but it's not easy. It is not easy. It's, I mean, we're at, we're kind of almost venturing into crystal ball territory here. (laughs) A little bit. Mine's mine's very easy. You can. Only so much you can do. Something you could do, though, as an example, when CVS bought, I think it was at, they bought Aetna, one of the yeah. big insurance companies. Yeah, Aetna, yeah. And I remember looking at, you could still look at Atna's previous financials and then compare how much CVS purchased for them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't make, but at the time, you know, I, I didn't buy CVS for different reasons, but at the time, you could simply look at Atna's annual report and say, would I have paid that much for this company? And sometimes it can really be that simple and it could Mm -hmm. be a reason to not buy if you feel like they're paying too much. Another thing I've started doing lately is taking like a 10-year history of a company's acquisitions. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look at the, at the cash flow statement, they will tell you how much they're spending on acquisitions every year. Yep. So if you were to sum that up and kind of include it in a free cash flow estimate, I did this for Cisco because Cisco is a serial acquirer and they're yep. just buying companies all the time. If you're kind of like the same way you deal with CapEx, like that's money that they spent. So it's not available for us anymore, shareholders. Mm-hmm. So if you adjust the free cash flow the same way and say the cash on acquisitions has already been spent. So we're just not going to count it. If it turns out being good for the company, that's almost like icing on the cake. So that's how I do it sometimes. If I see a lot of that compared to like, this is just a company that always acquires, Mm -hmm. then I will bake that into my estimates so that if there's an impairment there, well, that's okay. I already assumed that money was going to get spent. Right. And that could be one way that to kind of deal with the risk of goodwill impairment. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Including especially for companies that do buy a lot or regularly. It doesn't have to be huge amounts, but if it's regularly, then it's probably something you should account for. And that's a great one. Yeah. Mobison, I mean Mobison trumpets that idea a lot, but mm-hmm. in the sense of when you calculate ROIC mm-hmm. to include goodwill into that because it's a part of a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. strategy. To, to right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Exactly. Are there any other red flags that you would consider or think about when you're analyzing the financials of a company? Well, I guess speaking of ROIC, our favorite topic, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you start to see the ROIC go down, or sometimes what can make ROIC go down is margins coming down, gross margin mm-hmm. coming down. If those things are coming down consistently, that could be a red flag for lots of reasons. Yeah. For sure. I guess what would be one reason why gross margin contracting or coming down would be of concern? We talked about this maybe six months ago, but I'll just bring it up again. So you had a lot of companies throughout the pandemic and throughout the after effects of the pandemic dealing with a lot of inflation. So if you're a company who is not able to raise your prices to counterbalance inflation, well, now you have gross margins that are shrinking. Because the expense side costs the goods sold. The expense side that you need to manufacture your product, you got to ship your, say your target or somebody, you got to ship your product from China. That freight cost is now so much more to get across the Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean. Yeah, It's so much more. So if the customers are kind of balking because right now they're kind of pulling back, now you have... Costs going up, revenue not keeping up with that. And so your gross margin will come down. 
And that's just going to trickle all the way down, mm-hmm. all the way down to profits, and then all the way down to the cash flow that is left. And so if there's less cash flow, the company can't reinvest in their business as much. They can't give that money back to shareholders as much. And you're just going to generally have less return as a shareholder. And it all kind of started from the very top like that. Right. Yeah. And that's a great example. When you start to see gross margins contract, could that also be a sign that maybe the moat is being attacked? Or conversely, that maybe you kind of mentioned this earlier, that maybe the company doesn't have pricing power? Right. No, that's a good one. Similar but different, right? Mm-hmm. And I like hesitate to use this example because I think Tesla is going to be a great investment for a long time. I'm not the, in Tesla. The recent, yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. The, this yeah, recent, bring it up, please. Oh, well, I saw it briefly, so I haven't read all the details, but Elon Musk lowered prices this last quarter to try to spur more buying of the, and they saw re- great revenue growth. I think it was 47% on the revenue growth, which is for a company that size is kind of ridiculous, you know, with the revenues that they're producing. So that, I mean, that's amazing. But the flip side of that is that their margins contracted. Their gross margins fell, their operating margins fell, and their net income fell. And I think they might have even lost money in the quarter. I'm not sure as far as like the income statement. Again, don't hold my feet to the fire because I didn't read the whole thing. It was just I just saw kind of a, a brief overview of it. You know, to me, it might indicate that maybe they don't have as much pricing power as people originally thought. And it also could be that their moat is maybe, you know, the moat that they did have, it may be getting invaded by all these other car companies. I have no proof of that. And that's complete speculation on, on my part. But that would be something that I would, you know, if I was a Tesla investor or was considering investing in Tesla, that would be something that would be, it would give me pause. Like I would want to see those results go back the other way. I would agree with you. I don't think that's a crazy statement. I mean, I'm not saying they don't have a moat anymore, but I would say it's probably weaker than it was simply because there's now so many more electric vehicles out on the road that are actually pretty decent compared to like three years ago, mm-hmm. Tesla was almost like the only decent EV oh, in town, right? right? So that's what makes the stock market tricky is there's shades of gray with moats and the financials that will result in those different strengths of moats. And so if you're buying and the market thinks that this is the greatest moat in the world and thinks that Tesla's going to double every year, you're not going to do good, even though it's a good company. On the flip side, if you think Tesla's moat's pretty good and the market thinks the moat's pretty good and that they might have reasonable growth, the market's saying that, you're saying that, you'll probably make a lot of good money on that investment. So that is really all relative. And that would be a sign, you know, if to your point, more people are coming in, kind of flooding that space. That can bring down gross margin as you're maybe making rebates or cutting on some of those price points. And that can definitely impact. I guess in that case, would you consider a red flag for Tesla? Or you would say it depends? Yeah, I think I don't know that it would necessarily be a a screaming red flag, but it would certainly make me a note to myself. I need to check this next quarter or the next six months or the next year to see if this is a one-time thing or if this is something that continues. Because if it continues then that could be a problem. You know, there are other factors coming into play. I know that the the costs for materials, i.e. batteries, has skyrocketed recently. So I'm sure that's having an impact on their costs as well. But those are all just things when you're analyzing a company that you want to ask yourself questions and see if you can try to think through any of the the possibilities. You know, the price decreases were something that Elon very loudly announced 
And so it was not a surprise to anybody that it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that the gross margins would contract because they're selling their cars for less money. So there's just not as big of a gap in margin. So, I mean, that makes sense. But if he has to keep doing that, then that could be a sign of something else to come. And, you know, like anything else, those are things that you just want to keep an eye on and, and keep track of because if the company is not as profitable as it could be, then that could be a problem too. Very well said. Doesn't mean the company's going out of biz though. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not and please, by, by all means, do not try to short it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Note to self, don't short a company that grows at 70, 80% at a time. Yeah. You know, in revenues. Yeah. Don't do it. The cult of Eon is strong. (laughs) It's strong. Somewhat of a fan. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. If you would kindly consider giving us a review, it greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible mobile materials we've created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.